Hello. Hello, John. How are you? Hey there, Dan. Everything going good up, way up there? Oh, uh, today's one of those days. It's just sort of neither good nor bad, I guess. Let's hope. Let's hope. It's still early. So. Still early enough that it could go in one direction or another. Could go either way. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, still weird things happening in the world. I just want that to things to just calm down a little bit. I don't think that things are going to calm down. No? I don't think it's going to get less weird. I think it's going to get more weird. Like as we reach November, as we get closer to November? I think November is going to be a very weird, weird time. I think there will be riots. Huh. Riots. Yes. I don't know what that means anymore, riots. <laughs> it's just a regular day, I think. Yeah. But I mean, I, you know, riot used to be something, but I don't think riot means anything now. I think yeah. it's, it's, and I don't think protests mean anything anymore. I mean, in, in the sense that that word doesn't just conjure up an image anymore. There will be riots and protests used to be a kind of, used to have a meaning, but now it's like free floating protests all the time. If not free floating, then at least, you know, protest is a state as a constant state Mm -hmm. and riots. I don't know what a riot is now. I guess, I guess I do, but yeah, there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of hard times, a lot of hard times coming, I think. And it's weird because like we know it, but there's just nothing that can be done about it. We just have to like wait for it to happen. It definitely feels like the, like the cat is out of the bag and it's hard to get the cat back in the bag. You have a cat, like a new cat. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's apocalyptic, uh, for someone who's, who was pretty invested in the idea that, that, um, that we'd been, I guess invested in the idea that we were moving forward mm-hmm. is the idea that I kind of uh, kept pretty close to my heart throughout throughout my lifetime. Mm. It was the it was the premise I think of my parents' um, generation and and um, that you know that American history was a history of progress and that we, um, you know, there was a little bit of a two step forward, one step back issue that is true of any, anything that human beings do. But, but the idea that we were getting better all the time and making things better for people all the time and that the world was uh, to a certain extent, that progress was inevitable Mm. and to lose that I clung to that until very recently in, you know, like a a lot of people that don't have that as their, as their tent pole emotion have been abandoning the, the, um, abandoning ship left and right for several years. But I, you know, I was, clinging to the mast, uh, kind of un, unwilling to, 
um, to say that that the ship wouldn't right itself and that things weren't that the, the 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 institutions we had in place our traditions our um better natures and in particular our laws and legal system that they were bigger than any one kerfluffle they were they were more dependable uh that that they were uh that there was a shared respect for them that transcended political difference mm-hmm. and so we could fight about issues we could get into street fights about issues but that there that the system in the sense of the the courts and the congress that there was just too much respect for those things to um, defile them. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing what four years can do, and I no longer feel that way. And it's a, uh, you know, everyone is upset right now. I think, um, and for different reasons, and people are feeling shattered and vulnerable. Uh, and I'm used to being the the one that feels that stability will rule the day Mm -hmm. and in not feeling that anymore, boy, I'm really, um, starting off in a, like a downer starting off in a downer. Yeah. On the show. Oh, well, I think where it's a downer time. Yeah, it is. And I don't know. I'm used to being able to to prognosticate my way out of a box, any box, and usually it's usually it ends up being true. Usually, the catastrophizers, the panickers, the hand ringers and shouters and um, fighters are all wrong, mm-hmm. right? I mean, in 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 the end, they're they're often right in the in the moment, in the short term. But wrong in the end. The solution is not to uh, destroy, uh, you know, functioning institutions. the The solution is to reform them, even if it doesn't make you happy. Even if you feel like the reforming them doesn't get you everything that you want. That's usually the um, the better course, and the better course for for all. Um. And it's weird to watch them uh, destroyed for so little, you know, destroyed in, in in pursuit of such base and mean gain. Mm-hmm. But, um, and there are still people, you know, who. I don't, I don't know. There are people on all sides of me now that I don't like or trust, not personally, but in what I would have considered my world. Um, the, you know, the ship starts to sink and you watch the rats just, just, uh, <laughs> scurrying, scurrying. Yeah. <away. laughs> but, um, 
Yeah, there's no hand on the tiller, and I don't know how you would get. You could put you could put a hand back on the tiller, but people have lost their way, and I honestly, looking at history for some kind of looking at history as though they are tea leaves that contain um, signals and signs that give me some idea of what we're in for for the next half a dozen years. Mm -hmm. And for the, for the first time in a long time, history does not return with a lot of uh, hopeful examples. Most of the time, when stuff in American politics has seemed like, oh no, things are really out of control. You could, you could put the, put those facts into, you know, you could input them into a history function machine and the function machine would usually spit out, um, something like something to the effect of, yeah, this is, this is normal politics. This mm -hmm. is a bump in the road. This is a, mo a momentary setback. This is the, the messiness of democracy. But what that function machine is returning right now is, um, is new to me. Yeah. There's no, there's no shared, uh, there's no shared truth. There's no shared, um, like baseline of ethics or respect there's like a fundamental uh, like failure of comprehension. And that's not going to, you know, a new administration isn't going to change that. A new, there's nothing that's going to change it, I mm -hmm. guess, mm -hmm. except for, a, except for violence and to lose a generation. And that I'm not used to being catastrophic like that. I don't, I don't, I don't think that way. But when you look at history, there are times when that happens and the people that are on one side of it who are, you know, sort of clinging to the, clinging to the piano and saying, wait, 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 not this piano. Like, these are, you know, these are, uh, these are problems we can solve with the, when like minds get together and then you realize too late, there are no like minds and the piano is, is thrown out the window with everything else. And, and, um, to be one of the people that's still standing there in, a, in, in a top hat and tails waiting for the orchestra to start, it's a bad, it's it's a bad, um, I don't know. We don't look back and say past a certain point that calmer heads, uh, made any sense, you know, like the, we, it's the Neville Chamberlain problem or whatever. It's just people at a certain point, you fail to see something that history will regard as having been self-evident or inevitable but in the moment you don't think right you can't see it that is possible yeah. right or you can see it you just want to you want to say surely not because at every other point in a person's life um that proved to be the case surely not and then 
it wasn't. And so life, right, life righted its course. But to be on this side of the, of some, of some great schism and to realize like there are times in human life where, um, where a generation has to die basically because that generation is. You mean die um, before any change can be affected in the rest of the world? Yeah. That the change is that that generation dies mm-hmm. <laughs> and their blood is the thing that I mean, in most cases, these great conflagrations in history, um, we, we ascribe these, we ascribe to these wars, um, great causes, the revolutionary war in the United States. The great cause was that was freedom and our civil war in the United States. Our great cause was the end of slavery. Um, but those causes are kind of ascribed to those conflicts, um, both by people in their moment, but also kind of, you know, the victor writes the history, but like the great cause of world war one, um, I challenge you to find a great cause mm-hmm. either, either going in or coming out. Mm-hmm. And the great cause of world war two for, um, for people on the, on the victorious side was an end to tyranny or whatever. But, but really the, the allies were just fighting a defensive war that the United States didn't join world war two to fight tyranny. The United States joined world war two cause we were attacked and, and we're fighting for our lives. At first and the same with Russia, you know, there was no, nobody had a plan to attack tyranny. We would have been fine with tyranny if Hitler had just stopped at Czechoslovakia or, or if the Japanese had been content to exploit China, the United States wouldn't have done anything. Mm -hmm. Mm, You're probably right about that. What are the great, you know, oftentimes what, what it really is, is that people have forgotten what war looks like. They've forgotten what suffering looks like. They have no sense of the devastation that is newly possible because of new technology. They think that they're going to fight a limited conflict and they're going to put other people back in a bottle and, and they don't have any sense of what happens when something sparks off and, and, and no one's in charge and there's no, you know, it's just star bellied sneeches and regular sneeches. Now there's, there's not any, there's no great cause here. Um, there's no, no one is fighting for anything. There's, there's a lot, there are a lot of people who are, who can string together a list of causes and say, that you know they're fighting for this string of christmas tree lights but none of those are really um 
they're all they're all defensive actions you know they're not they're they're not fighting to advance anything they're either fighting to protect a status quo or fighting against what they perceive to be a oppressor and plenty of instances where people are being oppressed there's no question about that but it doesn't but it's not a um no one has a coherent ideology right now it's not a clash between civilizations Mm -hmm. and so what it ends up is that it's going to be one of these periods where i mean there are a lot of wars that the effect that they have on the world is that they just keep going until people are tired of fighting and people come to the negotiating table that they could have come to five years prior or 15 years prior right but they had to wait for something to happen to make that happen well it was just that they lost a generation of youth you know that they are so bloodied and so impoverished and so uh demoralized that they finally give up stop fighting or or somebody loses but in a situation like this no one's there's no not going to be a winner or a loser you know in a in a civil war like it appears we're going into, there's not going to be a victor. So what kind of civil war do you think we're going into? Well, we're in the, we're in the early stages of one. Now it's just a question of like how, how widespread will the violence be? And what we've never seen in this country is, um, is a conflict like the one that's brewing, which Mm -hmm. is we think of it as being left versus right, but it's also very region versus region and city versus country. And religious versus irreligious and um and all those things you know we cram those we cram all of that into this left versus right um uh, these these two hemispheres because it's just the way we built our system and it it has functioned for 200 years to keep um to keep all the 10,000 headed monster you know every to keep to keep the insanity that that actually is american politics under some kind of roof which is just like well you're lunatics and these people are slightly less lunatic and then these people are somewhat reasonable and you guys are all over here on this side and you got to fight it out and figure out who's going to be the representative of the starbelly's niches and then on our side we have the lunatics and the and the slightly less lunatic and then the somewhat reasonable and we're going to all fight it out you know it, it's it keeps it it's just been a lid a, a useful lid if america if america had a parliamentary system and we had room in our system for multiple political parties there would be 7,000 political parties in the United States. (laughs) You're probably right. You know, it would be ungovernable. It's not like there's no, there's no history of it. And if, if it happened, 
if if there was room for it, you know, I'd have a political party. And trying to get anything done under those conditions would be, I don't know. I mean, we may we may be walking into that time right now. But my question for you is, why do you think it's taken us so long to get to where we are right now? Why didn't it happen five years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago? Because you know, I'll tell you what, I was watching, there's, um, you might enjoy this. I don't know if you watch much Netflix, but on Netflix, there's a new, uh, a new, I guess it's a documentary you could call it, uh, about the Challenger disaster. Yeah. But it goes way in, into more than just the Challenger disaster. It talks about the whole space program and how that particular, the shuttle program began and how they, how NASA was really focusing on, even back then in the late 70s, early 80s, on diversity, on wanting astronauts who were, for one thing, uh, women. Um you know, who were, who were of different ethnicities, different races, different, you know, and they, they wanted to give these people an opportunity to be a part of the program and do something different. But what struck me was I mean, the economy was so bad at that point in time, but it really felt like as just watching this, I was reminded how much we still felt like a unified country back then. There were so many problems. We had so many problems. We were not perfect, right? But it really felt like we came together on a lot of things. Like that was still America back then. And maybe I'm being naive or I'm remembering it. And I'm sure you'll tell me if I'm remembering it too fondly or through the eyes of my childhood. And those things are true. But I also do think it was true that there was a feeling that we were in it together and pa- being patriotic wasn't a bad word. And despite our flaws and the mistakes that we made individually and as a collective, it felt like, you know, it was, it was a more simple, it was a simpler time, John. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, I feel like that's gone now. I feel like that's not, that's not where we live anymore. Well, we don't live there. No. In the second half of my life. And I guess, I guess, I guess in, in our whole lives, my, my life sort of starting in the, in the late sixties until now, like there's always in the United States been, um, been pressure that took a thousand forms, but there have always been elites in the United States and they've been elites that were initially sort of, um, depending again, regionally, depending on where in the United States you were, the, the elites were differently constituted. And I mean that in some parts of the country, the elites were like, old families that came with their elite status from England intact and ruled in a kind of aristocratic way. And there were other parts of the United States, even in the very earliest days that were meritorious and, or meritocratic and, and democratic, um, except that those were often 
uh, like very uh, like mono religious cultures. I mean, there were there were eight to ten different Americas even in 1650, but there were always elites, and there was always um, a, 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 a middle class that aspired, and there was always the mass of people that were kind of um, and this has been true, I guess, throughout all of human history, that the way you put a society together is that a small group of people comes together and decides kind of what the rules are mm-hmm. and then imposes those rules on the society as a whole and that the mass of people um, feel like they have no voice in it and either submit to it or rebel against it depending on their time. Um, and then in the middle, there's a great group of people that feel like they can uh, abide by those rules and they wish some things were slightly different, but they also feel protected by those rules from anarchy or from, um, lawlessness and that perception of like an elite, a, broad middle and a, a dangerous uneducated mass is the that's just how humans end up shaking out and successful societies and the ones that you the ones that well on this one the american one kind of what defines them is that you want that middle, that broad middle to be as big as possible and as inclusive as possible. You want as few people to be in the category of like unwashed rabble. And ultimately you want the, the power of the elites checked so that they're not autocrats. And that provides the opportunity for that broad middle to enjoy, again, across a spectrum, but to enjoy the benefits of that society, the, the, the collective work of it. And, you know, bad societies are ones where the elite have tremendous power. There's a small middle that isn't, um, you know, that's like pretty protective of what they have. Mm-hmm. And then a giant underclass who are treated like garbage. But the tension in the world and particularly since, you know, the, the, the intellectual tension of the last 2000 years has been the idea that that broad middle could what the broad middle likes to characterize itself as in its, in its um, activist phase Mm -hmm. is a broad middle. That's trying to reach down and include everyone below them in the, in the uh, working class or the, the, in the, um, whatever you would have described at any point in history as 
the um, the peasant class. And the broad middle has always made its appeal in that direction to say, we're going to bring all the poor along with us and we're going to increase their standard of living and their education. We're going to pull them up. And it makes a lot of sense to do because the more people you put into that middle from below, the bigger that group is and the more power that middle has to balance out the power of the elite. But what the middle really wants is not to bring up the lower class. What the middle wants is to take over the elite, to, to check the power of the elite and ultimately for the middle to start to take the gains of the elite to, and make them their own so that the, so that the high middle and the, you know, the middle high middle, uh, get that, get a portion of that wealth and, and accrue that power to themselves. And all of that is happening under the framework of the idea that democracy is a pure form and that the people are capable of governing themselves. Mm. And if the people could just be freed from the bondage of the elites who hold them in bondage based on no, uh, with no right to do it other than that they have, that they started out with the money and the power and they hold us all in bondage against our will. And that democracy is this beautiful and untried garden or un, you know, a beautiful garden that we can see just over the fence that if we can bring all the, the poor up into the middle by education and by reform and by, um, and, uh, and that, that, and that education and reform and outreach and for, for centuries and centuries, it was through religion that we would try to accomplish that. But that, and the and the liberal premise, of course, is that education is its own religion, and that if you educate people, they will automatically start to have loftier goals for themselves. They will automatically start to be more thoughtful and more uh, and have more empathy for one another, and to also want to work toward a, a a larger cause than just themselves. That what we can do as a people is to eliminate those elites and take all those resources and all that decision-making and put that, you know, disseminate that through the people. And sure, maybe there will be some middle-class people that we look to, to to write our newspaper articles for us, but they will just be part of the middle too. They won't be an elite. And sure, there will be people that have to do the jobs that nobody wants to do. But they won't be disenfranchised. They they may be cleaning hotel rooms, but they they'll be reading Proust and on their way to and we'll be on our way to to create a a utopia. And this is you know this isn't just the socialist fantasy. This is the fantasy of all the the whole idea of sort of uh, the idealism of of democracy 
We would like to say thanks very much to Brooklinen. You know, you probably heard us talk about Brooklinen before. They are the home of the internet's favorite sheets, uh, but their towels, they are also amazing. I just got a couple of these and just like the sheets, once I put the sheets on the bed and I don't want to use any other set of sheets, it's the same thing with these towels. It's a good thing I got two because I keep washing them and using them again. They're awesome. And you know what? They give your daily routine a little something extra. I mean, they have different levels of plushness. Uh, so I go for like the lowest plush one, but you can go all the way up to the top. I mean, it depends on what you like. You know what? You got different family members. You can get a different towel for each one of them, a different level of plushness for each one of them. It's pretty awesome. And I'll tell you what, it's so nice. Their site, their website is so easy to use. Like I said, these sheets that they make are so awesome. And honestly, you know, we're spending so much time in our houses these days. I've been kind of thinking of ways to turn the bathroom into like a mini spa almost, you know, and these towels do that. You know, I'm still like getting up and showering every morning and I still try to create that routine, but then the towels are there and they feel good. They look good. And you're like, you know what? This is going to be a good day. All starts with the towel, right? So Brooklyn and puts you to bed at night, cozy, and you take your shower. You come out, you clean, towel off with the new plush towel. It couldn't be better. And uh, we all deserve a little bit of uh, plushness in our lives right now, I think. So this is the perfect place. This is Brooklyn. And to find out all of these cool comforts of home that they have, the ultra soft towels and the amazing sheets, you're going to get 10% off your first order if you use the promo code ROADWORK, one word, at brooklinen.com, B R O O K. L-I-N-E-N dot com. One more time, brooklinen.com. Promo code is roadwork. Go check it out. It's everything you need to live your most comfortable life. Thanks very much to Brooklinen for making this show possible. Different people use the word democracy to mean a lot, a lot of different things. But it's often or, or at its sort of um, at its like unreflected upon basic level, mm-hmm. it's always imagining a world without elites and a world without um, a desperate underclass. And what's happened is different people in the United States have identified different elites that they think hold unearned power. For a long time, the elites were, it was clear who the elites were. They were the people that ran the major businesses that went to elite colleges that graduated from those colleges and went into the law or finance and ended up being the people who were able to get their friends elected to the higher office. And that those elite, those elites in the United States, their wealth was Sometimes it went crazy and you had JP Morgan, but for the most part, their wealth was checked and that we did have a functioning democracy. There was a very broad middle that did share in the, in the affluence that this country and all of its, you know, um, all of its natural resources and its, and its broad spectrum provided everyone. And that Throughout the last 200 years, we worked hard to have the, the, 
the underclass also have gradually rights, representation, and all these reform policies in the United States, mandatory education, the five-day work week, the 40-hour work week, um, all these all these 19th century ideas that we could make the world, make, make the lives of the poor better and more middle class so that they could become better citizens and we would have a better country. You know, that's that, that project all worked for the most part. And it's a, it's a question for scholars now, like we're going through a period like, like at the end of the 19th century where the elite have accrued to themselves tremendous fortunes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Bill Gates is a good example of an upper middle class kid. Um, Zuckerberg is an upper middle class kid, but these kids aren't royalty. You know, they didn't come from, they went to Ivy league schools, but they, they got into those schools because they were smart. And that's part of the Silicon Valley fantasy, right? That, that, that it is a meritocracy and that they're there because they're the smartest people in the room. And, right. but, but they are, they did they, these, these billion dollar companies did build themselves out of something other than just aristocratic privilege. And, uh, you know, and it's all the failures of regulation that, or all the failures of deregulation that's ha- that are ha- that have happened as a result of Republican po- party policy, but it, th- that's not the issue. I don't think that the problem is that the elites. The problem in this country is not we're not on the verge of a civil war because the elites have too much money, and I know the left wants to uh, wants to target that inequality as the source of our the the like the destruction of the social compact. But I think the, I think what has happened to produce those elites or to produce that imbalance of wealth is something further upstream. And it's, uh, it's, it's rooted, I think in the fact that somewhere in the late sixties, early seventies, we embarked on a project where we weren't fighting the elites as, or or rather we weren't, we didn't perceive the elites anymore to be tangible so much as we, you know, like individual people or groups of people and their clubs and their rules and their money, but we started to perceive elites to be, um, more, um, that, that, that elitism was a abstraction Hmm. and that you could be a member of uh, an intellectual elite that could be the enemy of the people without actually having any resources 
or power even uh, beyond just the power to influence. So you could have a, you could have a world of intellectual ideas and when those ideas had influence in the culture, which were, which were just influence that that was just influence um, as a result of kind of using the, using the system to get your word heard. Mm -hmm. Other groups of people saw that as an elite that had its own form of unchecked power, its own form of um, unearned privilege. And that those ideas weren't ideas that were about consolidating wealth. They were ideas about, often about distributing wealth, but they were abstract. And, and then on the other hand, you had groups of people who recognized that within our system, you could, you needed to, if you had, if you had other ideas other than these, these ideas that you perceived to be dangerous, if you had other ideas, you also needed to work to get your ideas in play in ways that were different from just presenting your ideas in the public sphere, because there became then a perception that the public sphere itself was controlled by elites, often elites that were against the, the and the ideas were against the rich, but the public, the public square was controlled by a different kind of elites. Who was, who was that controlled by? Well, you know, the liberal project uh, of to reform the world became the, you know, became the kind of cultural mainstream. It was what, it was what um, books were written. That, that was a perspective that books were written from. It was presumed to be the perspective of the media. What is described as the liberal media is described as, that way because the, you know, the intellectual world of New York and the newspapers and magazines and Hollywood, you know, all believed in, they were all sort of positive about the future. They believed in, um, in this project of broadening the middle of, of extending rights to everyone. And that was not about consolidating wealth. It was about challenging wealth and power, but challenging it kind of politely and challenging it politely because there was a belief that this was in everyone's best interests. And it didn't, you didn't have to dislodge the elites with, uh, pitchforks. All you had to do was educate their children at Harvard and Yale in these ideas. And people that didn't either understand or believe in those ideas started to uh, realize that their ideas just, I mean, every time they proposed them in the public square, those ideas were rejected. The, the rise of the conservative movement at first tried to counter that, um, that sort of like 
broad liberal presumption that we were getting better all the time and that what getting better all the time meant was extending the franchise to as many people as possible, bringing the, bringing the bottom up to the middle and checking the power of the top and bringing some of that power down to the middle. There are a lot of people that were super threatened by that. And partly it was that it was irreligious and partly it was that it was that at least in practice, in theory, it was one thing, but in practice, what it resulted in was affirmative action and busing and all these attempts to actually make those ideas real by policy and people that were threatened by that or that felt like that was wrongheaded. They found that trying to get their voices heard in the world, you know, the, the media just didn't like those ideas. And so the people on the conservative side of the spectrum, you know, they tried to, they tried to have their own magazines. They tried to have their own Hollywood, but nobody was interested in that stuff because those ideas aren't, those ideas, those conservative notions are not entertaining and they're not fun and they're not hopeful. You know, there's no aspiration to them. They're conservative, you know, they're about keeping things the way they are, keeping things secure and, you know, protecting things so that you don't, you don't lose what you've gained. It's a, it's a, it's an intrinsically, it's a view of the world that sees the world as full of threats rather than as full of opportunities. And if you feel that way, if you feel the world is full of threats, you feel like all these people out, out there, um, preaching this religion of hope and opportunity and the idea that we are going to we're going to lift everybody up. People that see the world as full of threats are like, what are you doing? You're, you're basically opening the door to every possible bad thing that might come and, and ruin everything, you know, just take away our God and our, and our, and our homes ultimately and fill the, fill the country towns with Antifa. Right? I mean, this is the, this is the final extension of it. Yeah. And so what people on that side of the spectrum started to do was realize like, we're not going to get our ideas heard in the public square, but we need to start consolidating power in the, and, and basically take our world of ideas and create a separate world, a separate set of truths that there's no longer, our ideas are no longer going to be subjected to scrutiny in this in this public, this American public square. And prior to the last, prior to my lifetime, the newspapers, I mean, we, we on the left like to think of the newspapers as being in the hands of the elites, but the newspapers were in the hands of reformers and they were, uh, they were smart and they were idealistic and they were dedicated. The universities, like they were all in the hands of people that believed in liberalism. And there were conservative voices within those institutions, but even they were committed to the prospect of liberalism. The conservative voices were just trying to provide a check on those ideas. But 
you know, there were no, there was no newspaper in the United States that openly editorialized that we needed to disenfranchise workers and keep the, the power in elite hands. I mean, your, your editors in chief, it's rather, it's the, it was the old conflict between the, the, the publisher and the editor and the publisher did, was a member of those social classes. And the editor typically was somebody that had to push the publisher to, to, to being more progressive. And it was why this, it was why Seattle had two newspapers, the establishment newspaper and the, and the liberal newspaper and Anchorage did too. And most cities had two newspapers, but there was, but the elites in the United States were never able to, to rule autocratically. You know, that was what made this experiment so great. It was what made our country, the model of the world for a while. But as soon as there wasn't a, as soon as like we started attacking the elites of ideas and the problem is the left hates nothing more than it hates itself. (laughs) And the left started to also attack those newspaper editors and those college professors because they weren't progressive enough or they weren't, you know, or they didn't represent the, what was perceived to be the character of the middle. And, and as we tried to enfranchise more and more people and bring people up into the middle, we wanted the upper middle. We wanted the upper middle to resemble the lower middle. We wanted the lower middle to resemble the upper middle. We wanted, we, you know, we, as we understood that representation mattered, we stopped trusting anyone that didn't, any institution that didn't have, you know, that didn't look like we looked. And so we started to see those intellectual elites as our enemy too, even though, and this is, this is the heart of that, of that confusion on the left where there, there are so many people, establishment people that are like, what are you talking about? I'm a progressive. I'm on the side of justice. And there are a lot of people that won't have it and they won't have it just because of either because of how they feel about those institutions and that they're unreformable, but also because they're basing it on a premise that pure democracy is not only possible, but, but the, but, a, but, a, but a pure form and that anything short of democracy, anything where any situation where you have representatives, where there are people that you recognize like, ah, this person has made a life in politics or in newspapering and they have done that. And so are therefore owed the title of expert Hmm. and owed the respect that we, um, that we give to people who have devoted themselves to knowing more than we do about things. So on one hand, we have a, you know, we have a conservative world that has created a separate reality. And what they realized was it was all a ground game. It was all sports. And in the, in the eighties and nineties, we saw all these school boards in Pennsylvania that were suddenly flooded with these people that had crazy ideas Mm -hmm. that the world had been created in seven days and that they wanted those textbooks that said that evolution you know, that described evolution they wanted them taken out of the schools and i remember in the popular press 
all this like kind of disgust and befuddlement, like what's going on in Pennsylvania? What's going on in these rural communities? Like where are the, where are the local elites who have a, who have a calmer hand and say, wait a minute, we can't, just because you can get elected to the school board with some crazy anti-vax platform doesn't mean that all of a sudden we need to change our textbooks to say that Jesus rode dinosaurs. But that was the power of local government. And the conservative world just worked that ground game. And they got, they took over their local legislatures and they they gerrymandered legislative districts and they worked. Is that when that practice kind of began back then because of this? Oh no, there'd always been gerrymandering. That was like the, that's as old as T, (laughs) but, but to gerrymander, like some of the districts are gerrymandered. Now, if you, if you Google like most egregious gerrymandering, yes, I I don't know if you put those exact words in there, but if you, if you look for, the craziest gerrymandered districts. It's just like they took a city and they drew a line around every neighborhood that didn't have any black people in it and basically created these legislative districts that were shaped like paint splatters. Um, but they were able to do it because they'd run this ground game and the left was over here talking about universal education and trying to extend the rights of civilization to include everyone and the, and the right was busy getting their people elected to Congress. And once they did, then they had power over the judiciary. And then they, you know, they had, they had exploited not a loophole, but exploited the left's inattention to I think what the left thought of as kind of a grotesque uh, like a, a pollution of the lofty goals of of democratic society. And the left really does believe that you should be able to convince everyone. And that if you just, if your ideas are good and you say them aloud, other people will hear those ideas and recognize their superiority and adopt them personally. And a failure to do that is a failure to be educated. It's a failure of education, of moral education. There, the left doesn't believe that there, that it's even possible to be of good faith smart and educated and yet not recognize the superiority of, of the ideas of the left. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the right in recent years adopted that attitude and they adopted it defensively in the same way that, in the early nineties, the gay community adopted the word fag as a, as a, you know, that they were going to reclaim that word and use it themselves so that it no longer had the power of a slur. 
And the right did that except with the smug presumption that if you didn't agree with them, it was because you weren't educated. And it's a crazy, right, right, right. a crazy hat for the right to put on because, um, but from their perspective, it was what the left had been doing all the time. Um, just claiming that their ideas were superior and being smug about it. And the, the right failed to appreciate that, you know, that the left could had all this power behind those ideas. I mean, the power of history, the power of generations of thinkers putting forward ideas that were difficult and challenging that changed the world and changed society. And the, you know, the practical American left of the sixties, seventies and eighties was not as intellectual as it wanted to think it was. And it was putting ideas into practice with a, um, oftentimes with a cut, a social cudgel rather than really relying on, the public square to, to arrive at that conclusion. And it's partly because we were tired. I mean, the whole civil rights movement was tired of waiting and understandably tired of waiting. But the, you know, the left kind of abandoned consensus also in a very different way, but, but with, you know, with generations of people seeking truth above all else. And the, the right has no such claim. What they have is tradition, that these are traditional truths and that if it was good enough for our great, great grandparents, then it's good enough for us that, you know, that these are truths handed down, not truths discovered, not new truths uncovered, but the good old truths. And so, but to adopt this, like, well, I guess you just don't get it. Uh, kind of, of social performance. It was very attractive to people that had for many, many decades felt like, they were being condescended to mm-hmm. in the public square to adopt a similarly condescend, condescending attitude about the unerring word of the Bible is kind of bonkers, except it works. You can look at somebody and say, you need to read John three seventeen, And if you don't like, then I don't need to listen to you. You're ignorant. And you're like, well, wait a minute. I'm talking about the declaration of the rights of man. I mean, you're not, there's no way you're going to get through those, those walls of condescension. And that became the temperature of American politics. Condescension became the language. And now the, the right is capable now because, because because that the condescension and the sense of their own intellectual milieu that no longer has to pass through a lit, the litmus test of the press or of popular opinion, it no longer has to be subjected to scrutiny. It just can be 
on its own side, Fox News, of course, was great at this, but, but, but ultimately it just became a separate reality. A separate reality that the left was incredibly contemptuous of, not interested in finding anything out about, because it just sounded like voodoo, but the left still believed that their ideas were both right and also that rightness was going to prevail. So when Obama was elected, there was all this jubilation on the left that we were finally going to get all of our ideas implemented and this whole, this whole world of the right was just going to have to suck it. And I remember there being, you know, tremendous excitement at uh, just the, the, just the idea that we were going to finally shove some shit down people's throats. You know, like, oh, you don't like transgender bathrooms? Well, fuck you. Right, Here they come. Right, right. And you're going to have to sit in your little, your bigoted little hole of a church and scream yourselves to death. You're going to have to punch your pillow at night because the the truth of that idea is going to roll over you like a steamroller and you'll, you're either going to learn, you're adapt or die, right? You're going to learn or you're going to, you're going to fuck off. And there was no longer any attempt to argue that position to people that didn't already share it. The, the idea was that this, that, that, that these ideas were self-evident and to fail to understand them was a failure of education or a failure or a moral failure on your part. They didn't need explanation. They were self-evident. Well, what we were, what we were facing was not a group of people that was curious, not a group of people that was open to being convinced, even if any attempt had been made to convince them. What we, what we were confronted with was a group of people with a separate reality and they and they perceived and rightly perceived that what the left's program was, was fuck you. Mm-hmm. And not only fuck you, but fuck you, you're stupid. <laughs> fuck you, you're, you're idiots and immoral and racists and, and, um, Nazis. And they, they do have a, they do have a reality that is, that is ignorant as fuck in some ways. But what we forgot was that they'd been playing a ground game all this time and that, that they had all the county bursars and all the local sheriffs and all the school board members and, and Grange halls. I mean, all of the, the populist institutions of the country had gradually moved into this right sphere because it's a much, because every one of those institutions also believes that it has a history worth preserving. And the left made no attempt to protect labor unions, made no attempt to, um, to even protect our own institutions newspapers. So we lost 
what what used to be that elite of the middle because we didn't protect it because you know because we were trying to reform it too on the one hand we're trying to get uh gender neutral bathrooms in in uh churches in Alabama but on the other hand we're trying to get uh, uh trying to dismantle our own sort of intellectual um high middle so here we are the 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 right actually kind of controls the the ground game of american politics now and they are not um they're not going to give it up and the the there's there are no longer any venues where the left can argue principles to the right. There's, there are no longer any places where there's not a public square. There are no places anymore where people can well, be every, convinced. Everywhere is a public square and it has the equal chance of convincing or not convincing as any other place in the world. Well, but those aren't public squares, right? Those are, um, what there are now is 1 million churches. And I'm talking about all the churches of the left as well. There are 1 million congregations in the United States where they go meet in their own temples. They are effectively circle jerks, but you know, the, the circle jerk of a, of religion circle jerk of a temple. And they come out of that temple secure in the knowledge that they know the one true faith. And then all those represent all those ecclesiastical representatives, they don't meet. There's no, um, council of Nicaea. They're all meeting on the, on the, you know, in a public battlefield, it's neighborhood stick fights, but there isn't a, there isn't a public square. There's no what is it? The nightly news? I mean, there's no place. There's no shared space. And in particular, a shared space where people come and say, okay, let's hear what the other side has to say. And let's see if we can, if we can work out a compromise. Let's see if we can figure out what this policy is going to be. That doesn't really serve anybody completely, but serves most people most of the time. And that's what public policy is. That's why there are people that, are professionals in government. Like government isn't supposed to, uh, honestly, democracy is not a pure form. There is no such thing. It isn't beautiful. Democracy is not heaven. It is, democracy is a fucking sausage factory. <laughs> and there need to be elites. There need to be elites. You cannot rule from nowhere. And honestly, people need to be ruled to a certain extent. You need to check that power. Absolutely. And America had great institutions that checked that power. Even now, I mean, Trump wants to be a tyrant. But he's not, 
American institutions are keeping him in check. Like he's the weakest tyrant you ever saw. He, he cannot command with a wave of his hand. He can do things for sure. He can put Homeland Security troops in the streets to guard Portland's federal buildings. He can do little pissant shit like that, but it's, he doesn't, he doesn't wield unchecked power. Mm-hmm. This isn't Belarus as much as it seems like it is, but those institutions, if we don't have faith in them, I mean, they, they're not powered by, by their own traditions for long. If we abandon them and if we abandon them, I, there's this crazy feeling that we can abandon those institutions and that that is the path to greater freedom for ourselves. If we abandon, if we denounce our institutions as being founded in inequality or, uh, or furthering the goals of the elites over the people. And so we're just wholesale going to step away from them. And somehow magically we people who can't even have social media for five years without it destroying the nation, we're somehow going to develop a new democracy out of our collective screaming and it's going to be better than the fucking Supreme court. It's going to be a better system than legislatures. Or are we going to just, I mean, what is the plan? There isn't one. And I'm talking now specifically to the left. What is the plan other than to, you know, to, um, other than to challenge, is there something you want instead that's better that you can articulate that's also possible and not just, and not just government by philosophers. And I, you know, the, the right has abandoned reason. So they can't be reasoned with reason is no longer the lingua franca, which we always kind of presumed it was, even though there wasn't any reason to think it, think so. But like the civil rights movement in the sixties, you know, like white Southerners weren't going to accept the logic of it. What they accepted was the political expediency of it. And the left mistakenly believed that they had won the argument rather than having won the ground game. Like Lyndon Johnson was a genius politician and he got the civil rights act passed, not because any Southern Senator was convinced that it was the course of justice, but because those Southern senators had been promised stuff by Lyndon Johnson and they recognized like in order to keep peace, we need to do this, but we will never believe it. And the left was like, well, if you don't believe it, you know, your sons and daughters will, because they'll learn in, in college that this is the way. That's not what happened. 
and it, and it didn't happen because maybe it isn't, maybe we're not capable of that. Maybe that's not right, possible. Right, maybe right. you don't. I mean, it's pessimistic, but you're probably right. Well, yeah. We, the idea that ideas rule is a is a leftist truism, but it's because elites rule and elites believe ideas rule. It's not the ideas, it's the elites that adopted those ideas. Because the elites were in some ways capable of understanding them and 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 desiring them. But to think that the ideas themselves have the power to reform someone who's hostile to them, the elites can, the, or the rather the power of the ideas can go out and without any argument on their behalf, without any elite behind them, that those ideas are just going to seep up in the groundwater. And all those textbooks that described evolution that were in Pennsylvania schools were going to create a generation of kids that um, that voted for Hillary Clinton. It didn't. I don't think that I don't think that ideas work that way. I no longer believe that education is the panacea, and I I honestly just long for a time when. when those high middle elites were intact and commanded respect. I aspired to be one of them. I even yeah. now feel like I am one of the, of that dying breed. Of I, think high you, middle. I think you are. I think you are for sure. Well, but there's no place, you know, I mean, now it's, um, it feels unseemly to say, where when I was in college, even to say like, I want to join those ranks wouldn't have felt un unseemly. It would have felt ambitious. Oh yeah. You think you're going to, you think you're going to be a national intellectual figure. You'd better work your ass off. You'd better have good ideas. You'd better study and understand the world of ideas and be ready to defend those ideas. Articulate, convincing. And now to say it, it's just like, oh, well, you know, you're just part of the problem to be a person trying to make those claims or trying to have that voice. And, you know, the, the truth is we're all now part of the problem because all there is is problem. 